Hello and welcome back to the Everyday Christian Podcast. I'm your host, Chase Green. This is a podcast where we remind ourselves that God deserves every praise from every creature every day. We have Lima Asinane back with us this week on the podcast, and we've been talking about the plan of salvation. And we're talking about repentance this week. And uh, this is a very important subject. We've been talking about doctrine uh, on the podcast all season long. Certainly, the plan of salvation is very important doctrine that we need to uh, understand and be familiar with. But uh, in talking about repentance, Lima, do you think that this one in particular is one of the most difficult parts of the plan of salvation? Yes, I, I definitely think that uh, repentance is one of those difficult parts of the plan. It's not impossible, but it is hard because we're talking about change, and most people find it hard to make changes, especially when they have been doing something uh, their whole life and that they enjoy doing it, and now they have to stop, right? And and that's the thing about sin uh, in connection to repentance. You know, sin is pleasurable. If it wasn't, no one would do it. Uh, but repentance calls for someone to make that change about sin, you know, and, and so it's definitely a process and it can be difficult. Yeah, it, it definitely is something that, <clears throat> you know, as part of the plan of salvation, you know, we repent, we, we change our mind, <clears throat> we change our actions. And, uh, you know, that's something that you do uh, in a one step kind of moment uh, before you put on Christ in baptism. but as we grow as Christians, it's something that we have to continue to do. We have to continue to keep our, you know, keep ourselves in check, um, keep learning, keep growing. You know, when we, we come across something in God's word that we realize, oh, I've been doing this and I should not, then uh, it it comes to the point where we have to repent further, you know, and, and continue to uh, learn from things uh, that we have done and, and realize we should not have done. And so repentance, you know, it's it is kind of a process in in that sense, but uh, you know sometimes I think there are those who do not want to make that repentance decision. They they don't want to uh, make changes in their life, and sometimes it could be the case that there are people who go ahead and want to jump ahead to the baptism step without actually changing their heart and changing their actions beforehand. Do we do we ever come across that, Lima? Certainly, there there have been individuals, you know, um, you hear stories about, you know, just rushing people to the water and they have not counted the cost. They have not uh, truly examined, you know, in their life and acknowledge that they are a sinner, you know, and that's one of the one of the first things when it comes to repentance. If you don't realize you're a sinner, you can't repent, you know, and, and you know, the scriptures convict us that we are all sinners and for one to acknowledge that within their own lives that's the first part of coming to repentance is realizing i am a sinner i am doing something wrong and and if you if you go to the water of baptism thinking you're already saved you're just getting wet yes and and unfortunately we do run into that very often um you know repentance also is not just saying i'm sorry that's that's part of it uh godly sorrow produces repentance we read about in second uh, corinthians chapter 7 but it's not just saying i'm sorry it's also following through with uh doing better 
you know, in, in our actions, uh, in our mindset, et cetera. Uh, when someone decides whether or not to become a Christian, another thing that we hopefully teach them is that they've got to count the cost of being a disciple of Christ. And that includes making the necessary changes uh, in one's life. If, uh, Luke, if, uh, Lima, if you could get Luke chapter 9, verses 23 through 25 for us, Luke 9, verses 23 through 25, and then I'm going to get Luke 14, verses 25 and following. We want to read a couple of passages that have to do with this idea of uh, counting the cost as we repent and and then become a Christian. So uh, what do you have for Luke 9, verses 23 through 25? So it says this, then he said to them all, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the world or the whole world and is himself destroyed or lost? Okay, so uh, what is what is he teaching there, Lima? As far as oh, our, that's yeah, that's that's Jesus calling calling us to 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 give up to make sacrifices to make changes to bear our own uh, cross if we're going to follow him. It, we, it cannot be my life is all about for me. You know, it has to change. The focus has to be not my will but the Lord's will. And so what we see here is is really a call to change. And Jesus, you know, um, uh, he makes it very clear. We can't follow him if we're not willing to change. We can't follow him if if our life is all about, you know, me, myself and I. Right. We have to die to self daily and we have to serve the Lord. And that's that's part of calling you know, uh, repentance and counting the cost. Right. Absolutely. Uh, that passage in Luke 14, verses 25 and following, says, uh, Now great multitudes went with him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. You know, strong language there. Uh, the idea is love less. You know, says the word hate, but it's the idea of you can't put Father, mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters, and certainly yourself. You can't put those those people ahead of Christ. We have to be putting Christ first if we're going to be his disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost, whether it he has enough to finish it, lest after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going to make war against another king, does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? Or else, while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. So this idea of counting the cost, putting Christ ahead of ourselves, uh, forsaking all that we have, if that's what it takes. 
that's the idea of this change of mindset that must precede uh, becoming a disciple of Christ. And so if if we say, yes, baptize me, but we don't have that change of mindset that results in change of actions preceding the baptism, then like you said earlier, uh, we're just getting wet. The baptism actually doesn't do us any good. Absolutely. So, so uh, Lima, for those who might be thinking that their sins are too difficult to overcome, let's kind of switch gears and talk about that for a moment. If someone has this mindset and they says, and they say, "Well, you know, you don't know the things that I've done. They're too terrible. I just, I just can't overcome the things uh, of my past," and they feel well, there's no way God would save me because of what I have done. What would you say to somebody who feels that way? Um, we, we actually dealt with someone, uh, who, who felt that way, uh, in one of our campaigns, um, when, while we were in the school of preaching, uh, there in Sylvester, Georgia, um, uh, thank God that later we heard the news that they obey the gospel. But when we are faced with, with someone who, you know, constantly view their sin as all powerful and, and hard to overcome, you want to point them to someone in the scriptures who who did some very terrible things. You think about the Apostle Paul, right? Uh, and, you know, Saul of Tarsus, as the book of Acts would ha- would name him um, in the beginning of those those uh, of that timeline. Uh, Saul, he he hurt God's people. He he consented to the deaths of some. He 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 caused havoc. He, he wreaked havoc upon the church. And um, I want to take you, uh, take us to Acts 26, verse 9, beginning Acts 26, verse 9, just to, you know, show what type of things Paul was doing to God's people or Saul of Tarsus was doing to God's people. Uh, in Acts 26, verse 9, uh, this is Paul giving his account of what he had done. He, it says, indeed, I myself thought I must do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. This I also did in Jerusalem. And many of the saints I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priest. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme. And being exceedingly enraged against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities, right? Uh, another reference there for us to look at first Corinthians 15, uh, verse nine, uh, as Paul, you know, talks about those who have seen Jesus, the risen Christ. He mentioned this for I am the least of the apostles who am not worthy to be called an apostle. Why? Because I persecuted the church of God. And one more reference here for us. Go with me to 1 Timothy 1, 1 Timothy 1, beginning in verse 12. If, if, if one looks at their sin and say, you know what? You don't know what I've done. My sin is too great. I can't be forgiven. Listen to the language of the apostle Paul here and think about just how great the grace of God is and the mercy of God is to forgive us, or to forgive Saul of Tarsus. Notice what he says here, 1 Timothy 1 and verse 12. And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man, 
but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying worthy of all acceptance that Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. However, for this reason, I obtained mercy that in me first, Jesus Christ might show all long suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. Notice what Paul is saying here. I was a blasphemer. I was a persecutor. I did some bad things in my life, but God's grace was abundant. He says the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant, right? And and there is no sin that God cannot forgive. The, the issue is, or the question is really, am I willing to cast my cares upon the Lord? Am I willing to give up sin and allow God's grace to act on my life to, so, so I can be forgiven of those things? So So we have the Apostle Paul here as an example of someone who'd done some terrible things Yet the grace of God was abundant towards him. Yeah, I, I appreciate that you mentioned uh, those passages. One that you mentioned was 1 Corinthians 15, verse 9. And another one in Ephesians chapter 3, not only did Paul consider himself the least of all the apostles, in Ephesians chapter 3, he says, I'm the least of all saints. So so he he viewed himself so lowly because of what he had done in his past. and And I know that. Uh, it, it had to to wear on him, and and he, I'm sure he had a terrible memory of the things that he had done for all of his life. But like you said, he still had access to God's grace, and and certainly we can be thankful for uh, the principle that is therein. You go back to that passage in First Corinthians 15, again, verse nine that you mentioned said, "For I'm the least of of the apostles who am not worthy to be called an apostle." Because I persecuted the church of God. Verse 10 says, but the grace or by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. So if someone is thinking about, well, you know, there's terrible things that I have done. I just I uh, I don't deserve to be saved. Well, you know what? You're right. You don't deserve to be saved. None of us do. Mm-hmm. That's the point. We don't deserve what Jesus did for us, but he still offers what he did for us. He still offers his grace and mercy, his love for us. Uh, when he offers that, we have to make sure and and receive it. And we receive it by repenting, by being converting to him, which includes obeying his gospel, being baptized into Christ, which we're going to get to uh, in the next episode. But, uh, you know, sometimes people do, they have this hang up. They say, well, I've done terrible things. Well, we all have, all of us have done terrible things. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. That's right. You know, we're referencing Romans three twenty three and Romans six twenty three. but the last part of six twenty three says, uh, but, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So we can right. be, very, very thankful for that. Well, let, let's move on to uh, our next question and uh, or our next section. And we're looking at several passages that deal with the concept of repentance. 
Uh, Luke 13, verse 3, and also verse 5. Lima, you want to tackle that one? Sure. I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will likewise perish. Notice, repentance is conditional, right? This is one of those conditions in order for one to receive salvation. And we, there is no salvation without repentance. Repentance precedes, you know, salvation. It precedes baptism. It precedes the other parts that we'll be covering in the plan of salvation. And Jesus makes it very clear here. Unless you repent, you will likewise perish. Amen. Uh, the next one we want to look at is uh, Acts 17, Acts 17, verses 30 and 31. Now, this is in that sermon that is one of the most interesting sermons, in my opinion, and that is uh, Paul's sermon where he, he talks about to the unknown God and how uh, they were worshiping uh, an idol there that said to the unknown God, basically just in case we've overlooked one. And Paul turns it around and says, look, you have overlooked one. You've overlooked the true and living God. Mm-hmm. And I, I love that sermon there in Acts chapter 17. But verses 30 and 31, uh, Paul says, Truly these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands. So notice this is not optional. This is a command. He commands all men. So that's universal. Everybody. He commands all men everywhere to repent because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. We are commanded to repent. And uh, that means, again, that change of mindset brought on by a change of heart because of godly sorrow, but also a change of actions. We have to give up uh, our sinful desires. Uh, and that's not always easy, of course, but but it's something that we must do in order to become Christians. And as we said earlier, as we continually grow as Christians, uh, we should be we should be conforming our lives to Christ more and more as we grow, which means we're going to find out some things as we study. Hey, I need to repent of this. I, I never thought that this was a problem, but it is. So I've got to be willing to give it up. What about uh, 2 Peter 3, verse 9, Lima? Yes, definitely one of those uh, great references that we we use to to encourage people to repent. It says there, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God keeps his promises, right? Uh, His promise for the good and rewards. And he also keeps his promise when it comes to, you know, uh, punishment and, and, and wrath. And really in the context of, uh, context of second Peter three and verse nine, the promise there is the promise of the coming judgment. Cause there were some who were saying, look, the, the, the world continues as it is. There's, there's no coming judgment. Where is this judgment to come? Right. And they forgot what happened in the days of Noah. And so Peter tells them, you know, some, some count God as lacking concerning his promises. But really what God does is he gives time for his people to repent. God gives time for you and I 
to repent. But be aware that time can run out. That's why repentance should happen today when you have today, right? Uh, second, uh, Corinthians six and verse two, the day of salvation is today, not tomorrow. We're not promised tomorrow, right? And so God does not want anyone to perish. The Bible also says that, that God, he's not pleased with, with the wicked when they perish. He wants to save them. He wants them to turn, right? And that's why he gives that time that to, so that we can repent. And he doesn't want us to perish, but come to that change that, again, the change of mind that leads to the change of life or change of actions. Right, right. Yeah, the long suffering there of God, you know, it shows us, you know, he is he is being patient with us. He's he's giving us time, pleading, if you will, to for us to make the changes that we have to make. And so we can be thankful for time that God gives us, but our time's going to run out. And and that's going to be the case for everyone who lives, whether it comes through death or it comes through eventually the second coming that will come at some point. The time uh, eventually is going to run out. Um, Romans 2 verse 4, I want to bring in here in connection with what we read in Second Peter 3 verse 9. Romans 2 verse 4 says, or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance and long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? In other words, the goodness of God and his mercy and his long suffering, his patience, it allows us opportunities to repent, to repent. And uh, we can be thankful for that for sure. Second Corinthians uh, seven verses nine and 10 is the next one we want to look at. Paul writes, uh, and in context, he's talking about the Corinthians from the first letter. You know, there were a lot of things that they needed to repent of. And in particular, if you go to chapter five of first Corinthians, there was the man who had his father's wife and uh, they needed to repent of that situation. Paul says, look, you're puffed up about it and you should not be puffed up about this sin. You need to withdraw from this guy. You need to not even eat with him. Mm-hmm. But uh, by the time second Corinthians comes along, thankfully, they had repented. And so we look at 2 Corinthians 7, verses 9 and 10. It says, Now I rejoice, Paul says, not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner, that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. For godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation, not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. I love that particular section. Mm-hmm. Uh, when it comes to repentance, because it shows us, yes, there is a change of mindset. Of course, there is, you know, the factor of I'm sorry, but you have to follow through with change of action as well. So, Lima, you got a, a comment on that? Yeah, you, you know, that godly sorrow is is key in the changes that we make. If if we don't feel godly sorrow, we're not going to change. If if we don't mourn over our own sins and and have a contrite spirit because of our you know uh, of our uh, uh, fall uh, downfalls, um, we're not gonna we're not gonna produce the fruits worthy of repentance. Um, if you're listening and you're wondering, well, well, what is godly sorrow like? What's the language of godly sorrow? I want to encourage you to read Psalm 51 because that's that's a great psalm. 
that shows someone who is broken by their sin and who is truly trying to serve the Lord. And that's David. And you know David's account. We don't have time to go through the whole thing. But Psalm 51 is a great psalm that paints the picture of what godly sorrow is like. Absolutely. That is a great one. Uh, you just mentioned bearing fruits worthy of repentance. That's uh, Matthew 3, verse 8. You know, John the Baptist was telling folks there that they need to bear fruits worthy of repentance. Sometimes somebody will say, okay, well, I repent. Or they might even say, I'm sorry. But then their fruits show that they're continuing to do the same thing. And uh, that's not true repentance, is it, Lima? It's not. Uh, and that was in the context of those Pharisees and the scribes. Uh, they often showed up to to hear what's being said and find ways to, you know, to stop what's being said. You know, they did that to John the Baptist. They did that to Jesus himself. And they never truly came there with pure motives to try and understand the will of God and and change. And so John tells them, you prude of vipers who warned you to flee from wrath to come. Therefore, show fruits worthy of repentance. Prove that you have changed. It really is what right. what he's trying to tell them. Yep, yep, exactly right. Uh, Acts 2.38 and Acts 3.19, similar verses there. Uh, then Peter said to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's Acts 2.38. And then Acts 3.19 says, Repent, therefore, and be converted. Well, these are synonyms for the exact same thing. Repent and be baptized, repent and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Again, we mentioned earlier, you know, if somebody's baptized, but they didn't repent, then they they just got wet. It didn't it didn't actually do uh, what baptism is meant to do if they're unwilling to repent. And um uh, also, First Peter three twenty one. We'll get into this for sure when we get into the baptism discussion. But uh, baptism is also the answer of a good conscience toward God. First Peter three twenty one says, and uh, our conscience is going to be affected if we're truly repenting, like we should. Right. So, wanted to bring that in also. And then uh, Acts eight verse twenty two. Sometimes we refer to this section as God's second law of pardon. That's kind of just a description we've come up with to describe what's going on here. But if you remember, Acts 8.22, Simon the sorcerer had sinned because he thought that, hey, this is a great money-making opportunity, basically. Uh, I want to see if I can get this ability that the apostles have to uh, transfer the miraculous abilities. And uh, what does Peter tell him? He yeah. says, your money perish with you. And then he says, repent, therefore, of this, your wickedness, and pray, God, if perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you. So, Lima, if someone is a Christian, that is, they've obeyed the gospel. They put on Christ in baptism. They they walk, they walk. rise up to walk in newness of life, and uh, they're a new creation uh, because they've obeyed Christ's gospel. But then they go and they sin afterwards. Does that mean they have to be baptized again, or what, what goes on uh, after? such a situation yes uh, certainly they don't need to be baptized again uh as seen here in our example with simon the sorcerer um you can pray for for forgiveness though right um want to bring in like first john chapter one uh verse five through ten you know that's that's ongoing christian living 
repentance never stops because because the moment we think we're beyond repentance and then we have we have an issue right because we're still going to deal yeah. with sin we're still going to deal with our own pride or, or or our own you know weaknesses in the flesh that we need to repent of and so it's an and ongoing we've process. To con- yeah we've got to be willing to confess those things too like it talks about in first john Absolutely. And that's part of it, you know, um, bringing it to God and, and confessing it to God and, and say, please forgive me. And John says he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. So you don't need to be baptized every time you sin, but you definitely need to repent every time you sin and ask for God's right. forgiveness. Another thing we could bring in is James 5 verse 16. Confess your faults one to another and pray for one another. Uh, that the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Uh, we need to be open and honest with our struggles, and we need to confess. Certainly, we have to confess to God that we sin, but we also need to confess to one another, hey, you know, I'm struggling. Uh, please pray for me. The effectual fervent prayer of the righteous avails much. It will strengthen us to be able to get through the various struggles uh, that we have. So, you know, a lot of these kind of go hand in hand. We talk about the plan of salvation. And we like to say step one, step two, step three, step four, step five. But a lot of it, it goes together and it it is a process, but it all goes together. And so uh, we need to remember that. Well, looking at uh, at what we have looked at today with repentance, uh, certainly we can see that number one, repentance is required. It is commanded. And number two, it involves making some serious changes to our life, doesn't it, Lima? It does. It you you have to be transformed is is what god calls us to be and and that's right. yeah that's giving up sin and and changing constantly yes and uh, continuing to grow you know desire the sincere milk of the word that we may grow thereby that's a process we understand mm-hmm. that uh, when someone is first baptized they're going to be a babe in christ but where are you you know years later you should be growing. We should be uh, becoming more and more like Christ uh, as the days go by. That's right. Finally, we want to wrap up the episode this week, and we want to look at the idea of uh, that's found in 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 through 11. There's a lot of, of sins that are mentioned in this passage, but then verse 11 gives us the fact that, hey, uh, these people are now, they are Christians, and they're in a saved condition. So what did they do? They repented of those things that are mentioned in this passage. So, Lima, could you read uh, 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 through 11 for us? Absolutely. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the spirit of our God. And such were some of you, past tense. So they stopped doing those things. Um, You know, sometimes... uh, People will want to be baptized into Christ, but they're still living together in an uh, unwed, uh, sinful situation or uh, maybe uh, 
you know, someone who's committing the sin of homosexuality will say, well, I want to be a Christian. Well, I'm glad you want to be a Christian, but you can't keep on committing those sins. Uh, even we get into the the tragic, sad situations of adultery, and uh, based on the teachings of Matthew chapter 19 and, and other places, very plain teachings from our Lord, someone can't continue to live in adultery and become a Christian. They've got to repent of those things, and then uh, they can obey the gospel, become Christians. So I think this is a very important section in First Corinthians 6. It shows us. You know, these things, these these uh, people were these things, but not anymore. They gave those things up. They were washed, sanctified, justified when they became Christians. They had repented as part of the plan of salvation. So uh, any final thoughts, Lima, before we wrap up the episode this week? Yeah, I want to I want to encourage our, our listeners like um, to go back and read that first Corinthians six, nine through eleven and sort of pause and think about how hard it is to make changes uh, from that lifestyle. Just take, for example, someone who is a drunkard. Uh, nowadays, we have like AA meetings and, and all these programs to help someone, you know, who may be an alcoholic who is truly trying to change. It takes time. It doesn't it doesn't happen overnight. Right. And so the church need, really needs to come alongside those who are you know, who have repented of these sins and are trying to change and realizing that the process is long and a hard process. And so the church needs to come alongside those individuals and encourage them and be there for them. That's a great point. You know, Galatians 6 verses 1 and 2, we have to uh, be be willing to come right, a, right alongside and bear one another's burdens and so That's fulfill right. the law of Christ. Context is talking about sin burdens. Yes. So we need to make sure and, and help uh, restore those that may have fallen back into various sinful situations and, mm-hmm. and what have you. Well, Lima, I really appreciate you joining me for uh, this episode on repentance this week. Certainly a very important topic as we look at doctrine, as we look at the plan of salvation. Lord willing, we will continue our discussion on the plan of salvation next week on the Everyday Christian Podcast. Thank you so much for listening to this episode on the Scattered Abroad Network. We are grateful for your continued support as well as your continued prayers. If you would like to find out more about our network, please visit our website at scatteredabroad.org. We look forward to studying with you again soon. May God bless you.